You now tuned into the hottest podcast in the world, the Stay Woke Podcast, right here on the SonicBreakdown.com. Man, it's time to wake up. Time to wake up. Get this cake up. Get this cake up. Only thing I care about is switching. Welcome back to another edition of the Stay Woke Podcast. Remember, you cannot stay woke if you do not be woke. So glad to be able to go ahead and bring y'all back here once again. We have a, a great show for you on tap today. We're going to go ahead and talk about should student athletes be paid? Specifically, we are talking about the NC2AA athletes. In light, especially of what has gone on recently with the suspension of over seven players for the University of Florida, especially their star wide receiver Callaway, for infractions of them selling materials that they have through the bookstore to be able to go ahead and get funds. So we're going to talk about whether or not these things are right or wrong. We're also going to talk about the implications of them, the solutions of them, and we're going to get to the core about this pressing topic that exists right now in this capitalist society that happens to be the world of collegiate athletic sports. So I want to go ahead and introduce some of the folks that we have here today. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce known resident here on the podcast, Brother to the Left. Yeah, yeah. This is Brother to the Left. Uh, you know, happy to be here on another Stay Woke podcast. Uh, I'm especially excited today because I got my little cousin here today. Um, and then we brought him through because he is someone who is uh, especially knowledgeable about this topic. Uh, this is his wheelhouse, if you will. Personally, man, first of all, I love all my family, but this little cousin is one that has exceeded all expectations in terms of uh, goals and, and, you know, things that we've set for those in our family. When you talk about moral character, when you talk about hard work, when you talk about those that you uh, that exemplify goals that we all set, man, this young brother sets it all. Little cousin, do your thing. How you guys doing? This is Junior Longers. I'm happy to be here today uh, with the Stay Woke podcast and give um, some perspectives that um, I've garnered over the last five years as a former student athlete um, and as a former uh, staff member um, within college athletics. Um, there's a lot of things um, that have, you know, shaped my opinions on the topic for today. So I'm happy to get into a healthy discussion and, and see the fruits of, of that labor. Oh, well, that's awesome. Glad to have you here, Junior. And I just wanted to go ahead and let it be known to our audience you know, I was talking to Junior a little bit before off air, and it's always interesting to me. I happen to have a god brother named Junior, and there tends to be nothing Junior about folks named Junior. Like, y'all, unfortunately, <laughs> we don't have a vlog right now for video, but this is a large brother. You know what I'm saying? He's at least about six foot five. Like, ain't nothing Junior about him at all. So, hey, it's always let, interesting. Know, and let me add to that, right? Like, because as big as he is physically, the brother's mental capacity exceeds that that physical capacity. That's what I'm talking about. Me. Thank you. Giants. You know, straight up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So Junior's going to bring a, a great perspective to this. So the obvious thesis here is, should we go ahead and pay collegiate students? And I want to go ahead and get your answers to this. My answer would be yes and no, because at least from the framework that I think that we're talking about, you know, as they always say, you need to follow the money. So if we're following the money, we're primarily talking about paying student athletes that are competing with inside of basketball and in collegiate football, because those tend to be the money making sports that actually produce a, um, you know, income that can go ahead and sustain and keep these athletic programs with inside of the black. I mean, shout out, though, to UConn women's basketball uh, back in the day to Tennessee women's basketball, because those things definitely do go ahead and garner uh, income for the university. But for the most part, outside of those type of anomalies, 
Typically, it is going to be men's collegiate basketball as well as men's collegiate football. So, brother to the left and junior, how do you feel with the thesis regards to should athletes, student athletes, be paid? My answer is also yes and no. Um, I think when you talk about this topic, there's obviously so many different aspects that are dependent on so many different attributes. So, Lucas, before before you finish, right, mm-hmm. I, I want to make sure we set this up right. Right. Okay. Can you give us a little bit about your background before you really tear off into okay. this issue? Um. Yeah. So, um, I've been an athlete all my life. I played collegiate basketball for four years. Um, and then I was on coaching staff for a year while I finished my master's. Um, while at school, I got a degree in man- management operations. Excuse me. Um, a second degree in marketing, a minor in communications, and I just finished my MBA with a focus in data analytics. Also, while I was at my college, I was part of Pac-12 SAC on three different levels. So I was on the Washington State um, level, so that's just my school. Um, then I was on the uh, Pac-12 SAC and then also Division One National SAC. Basically, the mission of SAC is looking at the lives of student athletes on that perspective level. I um, mean, what can we do to make that experience a better experience? I mean, as you probably would guess, on the Pac-12 level and the national level, we're making a lot bigger decisions. Um, I was able to be a part of all that beautiful time. And that Pac-12 has always, always kind of been at the forefront of looking at the lives of student athletes. So I was a part of the first symposium um, that looked at time demands. Um, I was part of what questions should we be asking athletes about mm. about their time demands and about their life. Um, I was able to vote on, um, I was able to decide on what things should be voted on while I was a part of um, those groups for the first all right, time. All right, so we, we gonna stop there. Y'all, y'all got the point, man. Yeah. Little <laughs> knows what you know. What I'm saying, yeah. So, so, yeah. so as you were saying, um, yes, like I was saying, there's, you know, you have four different divisions for for basketball. You know, what I'm saying, you have multiple divisions for football. You have, as you were saying, you have, you know, different sports that garner a lot more revenue. You have Power Five conferences that have these big TV deals now. Then you have HBCUs, um, and so there's so many different things that are going to go into play on whether athletes should be paid. But I think one blanket statement that I've told to brother to the left is that uh, you should never be able to take someone's ability to benefit from their likeness away from them. Exactly. And that's Mm -hmm. interesting talking about the benefit to the likeness Mm -hmm. because I love playing me some video games. Mm -hmm. And me and brother to the left used to have a, a nice little rivalry going, which I think I got the better of them more times. Nah, than nah, I. don't don't listen to those <laughs> lies. Do not listen to those. But lies. Um, <laughs> also in college, I spent a fair deal of time playing the NCAA basketball as well as football games, and that, when you're talking about likeness, gets into one of probably the biggest bombshells in the history of the NCAA, which was the Ed O'Bannon case. Ed O'Bannon, right. the former national champion with UCLA having their last national championship back in 1995, and he went on to go ahead and sue the NC2AA as well as other organizations like EA Sports Mm -hmm. who use his likeness with inside of video games. So we've often heard this trope of it's a shame that you have certain players that are on their way to winning a Heisman Trophy and they cannot go ahead and afford the jersey number that is inside of the college bookstore that is being sold. So We all know I'm a huge fan of uh, the USC Trojans. Uh, Got a chance to see Reggie Bush, who, for me, he's the person that when I have a little, you know, Benjamin, he's going to go ahead and watch tapes and YouTube videos or whatever happens to be the medium at that time of Reggie Bush. And we know that Reggie Bush had to go ahead and take 
improper funds in order to go ahead and be able to sustain himself in college. But at the same time, he didn't have the money to be able to buy his own number five jersey that was selling like crazy. So how do you feel about that, Junior, when it comes to the likeness issues and the licensing that's going on? Are these athletes being taken advantage? I think that's a simple answer of yes, in that um, I don't see how you can tell someone um, that they're not allowed to benefit from talents that they have you know, put the, the blood, sweat, and tears in to develop, but that you are. And to me, I, I, I see how it makes sense as a capitalist society, and I see the benefit for those that are making those funds, but I don't see how you're able to tell anyone that you're not allowed to benefit from being who you are. And going back to the, the licensing agreements with things like NCAA and kind of what they said was, we won't make the game anymore, but we're not going to pay you though. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's just like an absolute shame that that's the case. And what's interesting, too, is once again, we're talking about the realm, particularly with regards to student athletes that played basketball or football. And it's very interesting to me when it comes to the regards of you're going to go ahead and you're going to have the haters, as some people say, or as the people that have informed opinions that are from the opposite of whether or not the player should be paid. And they're basically saying things to with regards of you're getting a full ride scholarship. I'm going to college. I'm paying for it. You probably, because you are an athlete have received special favors in order to go ahead and get into this institution that you may not have academically been able to get into, which obviously from the spiel that you went ahead and displayed with the fact that you've gotten your MBA, which congratulations to you, brother. You're definitely breaking that mold in the terms of people seeing you just as an athlete and not being a student, but that perception is out there. So as a result... How would you respond to those folks that say you're already getting a full ride scholarship, something that they are not getting? Maybe you should just shut up and take it. Well, the first thing I'm going to tell them as an athlete is I'm putting in more work than you. That's I'm going to tell you that straight up. Um, Most athletes um, and that's going to be golf, you know, swimming, soccer, basketball, football. A 14 hour day is kind of the minimum. That's what they hope for is a 14 hour day. A normal student. Some of them might have a, a part-time job, right, which like good on them, and they have a couple of classes. But from what I've seen, nobody's workload amounts to what we're putting in. Um, and then we also make sacrifices. So my biggest thing at the uh, Pac-12 Symposium about time demands was um, a student athlete's inability to take advantage of the summer. As you guys probably know, the summer is when you do a lot of your internships. Um, Mm -hmm. And those internships are kind of what those employers are going to reference when you're done playing. And people love throwing in your face that only a certain percentage of people go in and play sports professionally. And I I preach the same thing. But that's one thing that a student athlete gives up, especially especially if you play soccer, volleyball, football, basketball, uh, baseball as well. You have no opportunities in the summer to go and get that two-month internship, three-month internship, and get that real-world experience that a lot of these jobs, you know, kind of demand on their applications. Um, it's, and so I would say we, we have our own sacrifices and I just, on a daily basis, on a daily basis, I don't think you're putting in the same work that we are. Yeah. And, you know, not to pile on, on, on the positives of why student athletes should get paid, mm-hmm. but I also, I can just concur with you. I was someone that was on a full ride scholarship for speech and debate. Mm-hmm. And I, I just detest and despise when I would hear people saying things like you're given that scholarship mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. I know I earned my scholarship 
with what I had done in high school from a competitive standpoint. Right. And I had earned that, and that's why I was given that. And it's the same thing with athletes. You had earned that based off of what you had done in high school leading into coming into there, and you are absolutely right. I remember waking up early inside the mornings before I would go to a speech tournament, and I would see athletes there lifting weights at 5 o'clock in the morning, running around the track at 5 o'clock in the morning, then having to go ahead and get breakfast, having to suffer through the fact that they were also on specific dietary plans in order to go ahead and either bulk up or slim down for the sport. It literally is a job. And I want to ask you this quick question before we also get Brother the Left back in here to get mm-hmm. your perspective on this is you mentioned jobs. Um, It's been rumored are NC2AA athletes able to go ahead and hold full-time jobs if they're on scholarship? I would say it's, for the most part, impossible, especially. So, I so, so it's legally okay for you to, but it's just, from a time perspective, impossible. Yeah, um, it, it's it's legally okay as long as uh, you're not getting any type of special benefit. So whatever the going wage is for that specific, specific position, that's the wage. you They have to make sure that's the wage you're getting. Um, you can't have gotten a job because that because you're a student athlete, um, but you are technically allowed to have those full-time jobs. But if you're asking me if it's if it's possible as far as time, it's a no. Mm, very interesting. Before we get brother to the left in here, I just have to quip on that point is, as uh, Junior was saying, if you're allowed, and let's be honest here, we all know we've either had a friend that had helped us get a job, or we know said person in college who has a job because their parent has a friend due to privilege that allows them to go ahead and have said summer job. So unfortunately, athletes, primarily some of these athletes too, that might come from socioeconomic situations where they do not have the affordable access to that level of privilege, we can see the disparity and how unfair it can be to where maybe that might go ahead and give you the impetus to try to go ahead and get paid, whether legally or illegally, according to the NC2AA rules in order to survive. So how do you feel about this, brother to the left? First of all, I think, uh, you know, I'm I'm all for collegiate players getting paid, first and foremost. Um, but I did kind of want to take this discussion in a slightly different direction as, you know, because the reason that I, I, I kind of brought this topic to us is because I read an article. Um, and in that article, they discussed the fact that HBCUs are really trying to move forward. Uh, well, at least w- certain certain HBCUs. And for those viewers that don't know what an HBCU is, it's historically black college. Um, it's a college that's predominantly for uh, African-Americans. Um, and the HBCUs are trying to spearhead, you know, this idea of paying collegiate players. Um, and the benefits of that would be that, first of all, you're recruiting players that would go to D1, D1, D1 schools, um, and would get them to come to HBCUs. And in doing that, um, you're putting pressure on uh, schools that are in, in, in NCAA or uh, D1 schools. You're putting pressure on them to pay their uh, their players. And, you know, so in, in doing that, you know, that's that's something that really sparked this this idea for me and it really made this a topic. And so when we think about how to kind of rectify this problem, of NCAA, you know, or D1 schools not playing their players. I'm wondering wondering what your thoughts are on historically black colleges doing this first. And if you think that is a uh, an effective way to get the NCAA to start really paying players, because I feel like it will never happen, you know, because mm-hmm. my idea of what's happening in, you know, with D1 schools and, you know, these major co- universities that are not paying their players is that it's a form of slavery to an extent. Mm-hmm. Right. When you're in a situation where you're making tens of millions of dollars 
and you're paying players, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year to go to an institution, you know, you're essentially getting free labor because that institution is there. Those professors are there. They're going to mm-hmm. do their job regardless. Yeah. You're not necessarily going out of your way to make, you know, uh, uh, you're not in a situation where you're suffering or where anything is is hard for you to have these players come here. Yet these black men, in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, particularly when we're talking about basketball and football, you have these black black men who are coming and sacrificing and giving their all, and you're making tens of millions of dollars, and you're giving them a fraction of that. So in my opinion, that's, that's a form of slavery. Um, so there's a problem, in, again, in my opinion, that needs to be rectified. So to bring it back to my original point, do you think that HBCUs doing this first is going to be able to essentially kind of rectify this problem? I absolutely uh, hope that HBCUs can bring this to the forefront because when it comes to major legitimate NC2AA collegiate athletics, I feel without a shadow of a doubt, HBCUs have always been at the forefront of these things. We watch TV or movies like Glory Road and, um, you know, the uh, story of like the first like player at a institution that happens to usually be african-american in these stories that they show and we forget about the history of where they were originally allowed to go ahead and play at um one of the greatest games of all time transpired between the university of southern california and with the university of alabama and the university of southern california defeated alabama and uh it is rumored that bear bryant then went into the locker room of the University of Southern California and commended the black players that were there. And thus subsequently, a couple of years later, then was able to go ahead and get African-American players on his team in Alabama. And as we now know with Nick Saban taking over, I mean, last time they always talk about the defense, the defense in the SEC, the, the defenses of the SEC are so tough. You'd be hard pressed to find anybody lacking melanin that are on those defenses. So they are benefiting from those things. So when we are talking about HBCUs, I think it would be interesting because one, maybe it could go ahead and bring players back home, so to speak, because I uh, and one of my fraternity brothers, we often talk about this. um, If we had kids that were fortunate and blessed enough to go ahead and be uh, higher level talents for athletics, we would push them to go to an HBCU, specifically his alma mater, Tennessee State University, because one thing, especially in the realm of like basketball, collegiately, if you're a star player, ESPN, Fox News Sports, whoever is going to be, maybe Netflix at that time will go ahead and be involved in the sporting business. They're going to find you. The cameras will show up there. So we have become so readily available to just signing to Duke, to North Carolina, to UCLA, to all of these higher level programs and these institutions that as we are seeing right now with what is going on in 2017 with the level of bigotry and racism that exists can be problematic at best. You are only helping the oppressors almost in a way from that standpoint of slavery that you're talking about, brother to the left. And uh, there is a great book that's out there called The $40 Million Slave that does lead into that. So how do you feel about that, Junior, with regards to what brother to the left is asking? It would be interesting. Power five schools, you know, the Pac-12s, the ACCs, the Big Tens, the Big 12s, the SECs, um, man, it's, it's a big show. And, and I'm not contesting that athletes at that level um, have a lot of support. You know, they, they get the gear, they play on the biggest stage. And man, that thing is a machine, um, especially with the TV deals now. That thing is a machine. Recruiting visits, 
they pull out stops. You know, it's it'd be hard. You don't go to on a recruiting visit in a power at a power five school on a football weekend without seeing a full stadium. You know what I'm saying? A whole student section shouting your name. So it's um, like Jesus Shuttlesworth and he got game. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's what these, you know. Hey, but do they have the, no, no, no. A couple of schools got, yeah, my, I'll tell you what, my school didn't have that. I, you know, I, I, no, you got I, to I, say I, that. I'll clear my school's name right now. You got to say that. Uphold the brand. Yeah, they didn't have that. All with that being said, paying players, you know, saying that we're going to give you a piece of this pie would do, I think would do good to attract some of those players. But that pie for the Pac-12 schools is so big right. that I don't know if you'd be able to compete with all the other stuff they're giving them, even right. if that money's not going in their pocket. And so and so here's my next question. Mm-hmm. Um, how if so, let's say let's say ideally mm-hmm. HBCU start this. Mm-hmm. D1 schools and schools in NCAA mm-hmm. start feeling the pressure and they're, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, ideally they come to the conclusion that, hey, we're going to start paying our players. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Do you start with, do you give them a, a yearly stipend? Do you pay them monthly? Do you pay them based on performance? How do, how does, how do you see that working out? Go ahead. Oh, well, if, if I can interject, um, so this is almost kind of getting to our solutions point of it. And, um, I, I, I could see brother to the left. One thing that would be possible is one, Let's just get out of the way. There is more than enough money that is being made. Absolutely. However, most of that money that is being made is being made as what Junior is talking about at the Power Five conferences. There are very few athletic programs that are turning a great profit throughout. And I mean, they're in co- collegiate athletics, just Division One. There's only 23. Yeah. So there's only 23 major college athletic programs that are turning a, a, a sizable profit. So as a result of that, it's very problematic in just like trying to go ahead and expand it all the way out to everybody for the money. So the way I've seen it is it's also one of the reasons why we talked about specifically basketball and football, because from my understanding, if you happen to go ahead and be a gymnastics person or a swimmer like Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps was still in college at the University of Michigan, and he was getting income from doing commercials and from deals with the Olympics and all of those things because it seems like the NC2AA tends to have a, I don't know, double standard of sorts when it comes to how certain people are funded and how things are going to go ahead and work out. So if we could go ahead and apply that method, it seems like, Maybe I think the cleanest way to go ahead and do it from a solutions oriented standpoint, brother to left, would be the advertisers and it would be the Nikes and the Reeboks and all these organizations where the just the shoe companies alone, the amount of money that they make, if they just go ahead and pay an individual stipend to the football and to the basketball teams and maybe whatever other popular sport that is there on the college campuses because the reason why i say it'd be best if you allowed for a blanket version of uh endorsements is because then we don't have to get into what i want to speak about a little bit later here is title nine because title nine is something that greatly impacts 
the ability found in 1979, making sure that everyone had an opportunity to go ahead and receive fair and equal treatment uh, with regards to the NC2AA, which specifically most people understand it as what allowed women to also be able to be on an equal playing field with men. So if you're going to go ahead and pay the men, then uh, there are definitely in this time and age with rightfully so folks that want to go ahead and talk about having equity and equality for the women. So uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, Let me just jump in real quick before before we pass it to Lil Cuz. I think that there's no doubt that, you know, as we think about how to pay college athletes, it's going to be complex. There's going to be a lot of nuance there. Um, You got to think about paying men versus women. You got to think about the different sports. However, I don't think that should be a hurdle. I don't think that should be a reason that we don't do it because it's going to get sticky. It's going to get messy. Yeah, in terms well, but of that's why we, I, w- I wasn't saying I, I, that I just to clarify. Yeah. I was just basically saying that was one of the solutions where is if we bring in endorsements, endorsements are the individual companies paying right. and not the NC2AA. So that's a way to skirt around Title IX. Absolutely. And I wasn't saying that you were saying that. I was just basically that's an argument that's out there, right? That, you know, is this going to get messy? How do we pay women versus men? How do we pay this sport versus that sport? That's an argument that is being made as to why we don't pay college athletes. And, you know, my thoughts are that, you know, when you have intelligent individuals, when you have adults in the room, when you have, you know, individuals who who have been able to create things and, you know, what I'm saying and, and figure out really complex problems. It might take a little time, but there's no reason we can't figure out, a, a, a you know, a way to do that um, efficiently and effectively in a way that that gives equity to everyone. Um, I think that's I think it will come. It's just a matter of putting time and putting the right people in places to do that. And I'm speaking to that general counter argument that's out there. And how do you feel about that, Junior? Yeah, so first I'll address um the proposed solution. Um and then I'll address what brother to the left sex. That'll lead me into something else. Um and I do think that solution makes sense because it goes back to what I was saying about you shouldn't be able to take anyone's likeness away from them. Um and what that also does is the playing field is never level. Some players are just better than other players. Some players are more popular than other players. And if I'm able to get more money off of endorsement deals, that's because I'm better than you. Exactly. Right? That's right. because I've that's because I'm taller than you, or that's because I got a popular haircut, or that's because I dress better than you, that's because I do better interviews than you. Right. And and I think that's a good way, like I said, to let those companies decide so the NCAA doesn't have to, you know, be the bad guy on that one. But also NCAA, they want that money. I mean, they they want to be the ones to dole that money out. Right. And then so back to you were saying, what how does that look? What do you do? Is it a monthly to monthly? Is it a yearly thing? So what's happening now is the the Power Five conferences decided we want to we want to be able to operate on our own because we do have a different income than everybody else. We want to be able to make rules on our own. And then so what the Pac-12 started was looking at things in terms of cost, full cost of attendance, right? I and mean, so before, you know, players couldn't fly home because they didn't have money. They couldn't afford all their rent. They didn't have money to buy a new pair of shoes every once in a while, et cetera, et cetera. And so now they're doing cost of attendance, right? And so how it works. And but then we get back to it's different in different schools, right? So I'll talk about myself first. I'll tell you, I went to Washington State in Pullman, Washington, a little college town, really low cost of living, right? And so we got um, about 1300 bucks a month. And your rent's probably going to average somewhere between, I would say, 430 and probably like 550 is the most it could be, right? Then you got your utilities. And then for the, if you were basketball or football um, and some other sports as well, you could figure out a way to not have to pay for a meal except for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? So we got like, especially after Shabazz tweeted that that tweet, I'm, I'm hungry, uh, we were able to get lunches. Um, we got dinner 
four nights a week. And then they had like snacks in the weight room. So that would be my breakfast. I'll go get my couple raw or get my couple hard boiled eggs, couple bagels. That was my breakfast. I wouldn't, y'all wouldn't get no more extra money out of my pocket. Um, and then I would stack up. Times got tough. Like in the summer, you don't really get enough for the summer, but I could figure it out because my rent was low. I knew how to budget. Right. And then you go on a roll and then they, they pay for your food on a roll. And then we started getting cost of attendance. And that was an extra 1700 bucks a semester. Right. And for us, that really helped. Right. That 1700 bucks really helped. You know, you could you if you were short on rent at the end of the school year or in the summer, you had that 1700 from that semester to carry over for you if you needed to fly home. Right. Or you had a God forbid you had like a death in a family. You know, what I'm saying you could afford to fly home. You could fly home for Christmas. Then everywhere isn't um, as low cost of living as Pullman. Right. So then my next subject or my next subject matter is going to be Stanford. Right. Who, if you look at it, what you want a student athlete to be, Stanford epitomizes that. There's a thing called the director's cup. And it basically is who is the best athletic program in the nation. Stanford has won this cup the last 23 years. 23 years in a row, they've been named the best athletic conference or the best athletic program in the country. Right. Take that, Vanderbilt. Right? <laughs> and obviously, everybody knows how the, the impact reputation they have as an academic institution, right? But Stanford is smack, in the, smack dab in the middle of Silicon Valley. Right. So their rents are sky high. So me and my roommate, two of us in a two-bedroom with plenty of space, it's like 800 bucks. I know players at Stanford, two-bedroom, 4,500 bucks. Right. right. And so they have a higher stipend. Living, yeah. yeah, higher stipend, stipend, which I think theirs is about eighteen hundred. Right. But that that sliding scale is way off. Yeah. Right. Way right. off. Right. So eighteen hundred bucks might cover your rent. Then you still got your electricity, you gotta eat. You know what I'm saying? And then they get their cost of tuition or cost of yeah, full cost of attendance. And I think it was a little more than our seventeen hundred, but that's not even making a dent right. for them. And then you look at a school like Stanford and their endowment. Their endowment is, I think, $22 billion right now, right? So rule of thumb is you make about 5% on your endowment, right? That's like $1.1 billion coming in the door every year, right? So it's up to Stanford how they spend their money. But these are the best athletes in the world, and they're also right. the best students in the world. You're telling me you can't, you can't help them pay their rent? Right. And then, then you look at how they spend their money, right? So Phil Knight, you, back to the Nike and Adidas, he gave $400 million bucks because Hennessy, who was a president of Stanford, said, I want to develop this uh, graduate program that's going to rival Rose Scholars. He's like, I'm, I want to get um, our endowment up to $800 million. That's how much it'll cost us to uh, put these you know, top students in the world through this three-year program, 100 students. Mm-hmm. 5% of $800 million is $40 million, right? So the math is like over... $40 million, right, is your 5% off that $800 million for three years, 100 students per year. That is $133,000 per student per year that they're spending to educate these people, right? Mm. And that's, and that's yeah. good, right? Those people probably come from that program and all go do great things, right? Yeah. Right. Right. But they're on full scholarship. But I'm guessing that they can afford to live off of $133,000. Right. But you can't tell me that the athletes at Stanford aren't doing more for your university right. as a whole than regular students. Like in terms of pulling in like, money. Like you, in you, terms you, of, I mean, you, they you, said you, it best in the U you, documentary you, you where want, they're like want, all brand new buildings are yeah, rising like, up around us like, like and we want, ain't getting anything. You, you, right, want, you right. want Tiger Woods like right. to come for a week back when he was still Tiger Woods, but you want him to come for a weekend, he don't care about like he don't care about a chess match. He want to come for the big football game. That's right. That's right. Condoleezza, she's going to come for the football game. Right. Phil Knight is in the sports. 
more importantly, security <laughs> athletes are not getting, or the security <laughs> folks are not getting overtime to right. go ahead and, as you say, referee the chess match. Parking attendants are not getting a chance to go mm-hmm. ahead and make mm-hmm. extra money yeah. by doing the robotics mm-hmm. and Rube Goldberg machine right. competitions <laughs> that are going on. Right. It is mm-hmm. big business for everyone involved, mm-hmm. and so much so that I remember, I can't remember the exact article, but uh, when Alabama won their first national title, I believe in 2010, under Nick Saban, uh, Nick Saban's first national title, Alabama, when he defeated Texas, I remember reading an article where it said they could have paid Nick Saban his salary and his bonuses for winning that championship game. And on that 53-man roster, they could have paid each individual $300,000 plus from what was made mm-hmm. with that, that. and and it's right. just ridiculous not none of that shared at all mm-hmm. and of course yeah i've been my favorite campus i've been to many university campuses because of speech and debate and my favorite campus was the university of alabama's mm-hmm. campus it's absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. and it makes sense with all the money that them brothers bring and in it, and it go it goes back to students professors everybody has an opinion right yeah everybody on on what athletes should be thankful for but everybody benefits off of what the athletes do. Right, right. Right. You get team is good. You get you get more people coming in. You could be you could be more. Um, you could scrutinize more when you're going through applications. Right. We got an extra four thousand. We can get we can get our average. That we can get that average up a little bit. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying? If if you're a professor, right. You know you you got you got a couple people you want to do research with coming to town for this football weekend. If you're a student, big buildings go up. Right. If you're a student, you get to attend the games, have fun. And then, like I said, you just keep, I keep always come back to Stanford because they are the best. They are the epitome of what you want your quote unquote student athlete to be. Yeah. They're the best. They're the best at both. And even them, they're not getting what they need to be comfortable. Yeah. And to piggyback off of mm-hmm. that, it was recently in the news, Josh Rosen, the star quarterback of UCLA's mm-hmm. uh, football team, yeah. saying that they need to go ahead and change the SAT requirements, and that might affect teams like Alabama and other star football teams around the nation, which I do agree with him from a standpoint that academics should be focused on. Uh, and as we see it uh, with what you were talking about, Junior, with Stanford, uh, I have read that Stanford and David Shaw, they basically have to identify the students that they want to recruit by their like freshman or sophomore years of high school because they need to make sure that they're taking all the requisite classes mm-hmm. that get them into Stanford. However, I bring up that point because... It's BS. It's absolute BS when you talk about the academic requirements and with regards to getting into the university, because every university has people in it that do not meet the requirements that are given passes. And there are are thousands that are not playing sports. If you happen to go ahead and play the cello extremely well, there are some people I know at a university like Stanford or at some of these other uh, universities across the nation that are in because you are a virtuoso that has amazing talent as a musician. Or we have past presidents like George W. Bush, who is daddy at Yale, happened to go ahead and have a couple of buildings named after him. And what do they call that? They don't call that affirmative action. They call that a legacy. All all of these things that exist that the common person, all this animosity is put on the athletes. And I let's just be real. A lot of it is not put on every athlete. It's put on particularly football and basketball players. And it's particularly put on African-American football and basketball players due to the racial animosity that exists. And I just want to go ahead and kind of bring up this and ask this as a question to two of you. 
how do you feel about what I like to refer to as the the welfare program of the NC2AA when it comes to these Power 5 schools? Because um, you played in the Pac-12, Junior, and the Pac-12, unlike a lot of the other Power 5 conferences, is really good at a lot of different sports. You know, mm-hmm. Stanford has mm-hmm. the swimming, you know, which we're able to go ahead and see the first African-American a woman to go ahead and win a gold medal as a result yeah. of what she learned there. And there are a lot of those things that exist. However, when we really go ahead and we break it down here... I call it welfare because there are majority of sports that are not making any money at all that are being supported off Mm -hmm. of the backs of what the football and basketball teams have been able to procure with TV contracts and deals. So how do you feel about that first junior with regards to what I like to call the welfare of the pack or of the uh, power five? I see it as just the nature um, of operating as an institution. Um, I think uh, the pac 12, Conference of Champions, called that for a reason. I think as a whole, they are trying to create the best experience possible for all their athletes. I mean, uh, a, a swim meet will never garner the attention that a football football game will, um, and that's just the way it is. And But you still want to give those swimmers, I think, the best possible um, experience they can have. I know at uh, my school specifically, for a while, the soccer team and the rowing team were the two most consistent teams at the school but um the rowing team their their regattas were like like 40 miles from campus like on this river you know soccer (laughs) soccer would get some attention but um it's not football it's not basketball and they were winning way more than both those sports and so even though football is still bringing in that big money basketball is bringing in tv money i think teams like that deserve it Mm -hmm. and i guess that's my view on that on that topic and how do you feel so what i talked about a little bit earlier in the podcast there were some players like a star wide receiver for the University mm-hmm. of Florida Callaway that was just mm-hmm. suspended for using funds improperly yeah. that were given to them. And uh, I remember that happened to uh, Alabama in 2007. Mm-hmm. They had football players that were, they had received funds probably on their ID cards to be able to go ahead and use for books at the bookstore. Mm-hmm. And they bought said books and mm-hmm. then went ahead and sold them at like a lowered rate mm-hmm. to their classmates. Now, what bothers me about this is and why, you know, for those that don't feel like, oh, you're putting race into everything, but you, you put in a, a racial perspective and you, is the players that are doing this are African-American players. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, if this were players or these were people that were not African-American, we usually would hear that's absolute economic brilliance. That's a businessman. <laughs> You're going ahead and you're taking something from the university. You're turning it into a business. Good for you. They should possibly be on Shark Tank. But here, due to the NC2AA rules with being basically the $40 million slaves as referred to with inside of the book and with what Brother to the Left was saying with regards to some of these athletes almost being treated as if they are on the new plantation, how do you feel about that with the way that they have now punished these players at the University of Florida and players past like Alabama with doing these acts? Um, first of all, there are, there are a lot of rules that the NCAA has. I won't say a lot of them, a good amount of them. Don't make sense. Um, they're probably the rest of the majority. Did, pretty, did you ever violate pretty, any of those rules? Or no, no I never violated a rule. Violated? I never violated a rule in my life, I man. I never, that. never he broken a rule. No comment on that. <laughs> God damn it. No comment. Um, yeah. Um, and so I look at it one way, but I think I see a, a bigger issue. And you know, if it, if it's spelled out, that's the rule. If you break it, you've you've broken the rule, and you you knew the consequences going into it. That doesn't mean that the rule um, was just right. I see a, a, an issue as far as just a lack of people that look like us 
being in charge of these student athletes and not being able to relate to um, their circumstance. And that's whether it's a lack of African-American coaches, lack of, especially lack of African-American mm. administration. A lot of these people that are coming in, into these meetings and telling these kids, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't sell this and make money, you can't make money off this, you can't make money off that, right. you definitely can't make money off that, are for the most part white. And here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If they were compensating these young brothers appropriately, Mm -hmm. there wouldn't be a need for them to sell their books. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you they're selling their books Mm -hmm. so that they can go and buy some food. Mm -hmm. They're selling their Mm -hmm. books so that they can support themselves. Mm -hmm. To be college students. Right, right. Even when people complain, oh, Mm -hmm. what do you need a new pair of shoes for? What do you need to go ahead and go out on a date for? Because they're doing the exact same thing thing, that your kids are doing. Right. And here's the thing. If you were giving them a better piece of the pie rather than this sliver of the pie, uh, you know, again, they're bringing in billions of dollars, right? If you were compensating them appropriately, there wouldn't be a need for any of that. that there that, simply wouldn't yep. be a need. But here's the thing: I wanted I wanted to add another caveat mm-hmm. to this discussion because in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, when Junior spoke, he said that uh, you know when the question was raised, "Do you agree with paying college athletes or not?" He said yes and no. So uh, just just to be fair here. Mm-hmm. You know, and and to be balanced, not to quote Fox News, be fair and balanced, mm-hmm. right? But to be fair and balanced here, mm-hmm. what are the counter arguments? Why why do you say no? Um, I think you go back to all the different levels and the different caveats and 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 the convolution in NCAA sports as a whole. Um, and I think the blanket statement pay college athletes. One of you alluded to earlier is it's difficult for the NCAA to pay college athletes. And as, also, as, can you can you be a little more specific about yeah, that? And, and so, Power Five conferences. So, Texas A and M is like fifty-seven million in the black, right? Then there's a lot of schools. So elaborate on that. You oh, said fifty-seven 50, million. Fifty-seven in the million. Black. What does that mean? Fifty-seven million. Their revenue is fifty-seven million dollars greater than their cost. Right. right. And that's from, you know, advertising, ticket sales, concessions, however else Texas A&M makes money off of these players going out and running their heads into each other for, you know, a couple hours every Saturday. It, but then you have schools at, you know, Division three levels. You know what I'm saying? These, right. And and these schools aren't bringing anything. You know what I'm saying? Our schools that are getting state funding to, to run what they're doing. And so I don't see personally a scenario where you just pay college athletes. Here's your Here's your paycheck. I do see a bunch of things that could be done, one, to allow these athletes to be compensated for what they are doing. And I, I think that's just a better way to phrase it, just right. because I think it, it allows you for that wiggle room um, and to look at different things. Some people, some people honestly should just be compensated differently yeah, yeah. Um, than other athletes, whether it's different teams should be compensated differently, different conferences, different levels. So that's that. I think that's the no. Right. And mm-hmm. I think I think that and that is how this the the solution needs to be framed right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's about appropriate compensation right and so i go back to the to the stanford thing and that's the full cost of attendance is i think it was a good start but i think those problems are already glaring after basically one year of implementation um you can you can already see the problem and hopefully you know they come back and they and they fix that problem right Um, but i think that type of structure is a good start coupled with um i think before you do anything, you got to give players just the right to make money off of who they are. If someone wants to give somebody 200 bucks to come sign autographs at their hole in the wall shoe store. Absolutely. The give, fact, give the them, fact yeah. that their brothers, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, that, that a college athlete can't do that mm-hmm. is ridiculous. It's, yeah, it's mind blowing. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and, but go ahead. And it reflects the greed. But, it, it is but, but, but you can let somebody put an advertisement up in your stadium 
and, and get some money off of that. Yeah, and then, right, right. And then, and and then you can you you can make your players right. right? Then we there is and a whole other argument is you know time demands and voluntary versus involuntary. But you can make your players go sign autographs downtown somewhere. Right. You know what I'm saying. Right. Right. But they can't go do it on their own and, and, and make 200 bucks. Let me go back to the, the kid from um, UCF, the kicker that just got ruled ineligible. Dude, you know how, how, how hard it is to make heck of money off of YouTube videos? Like to get, if you got like a, on average, right? If you got, and there's different structures. If you got like a million views, that might be 5,000 bucks if right. you're lucky and people are just clicking yeah. on all your ads. Right. So th- it wasn't like this kid was sitting there making 100,000 right. off of these YouTube videos. Right. He was probably at the most probably making like a couple thousand during the season. Yeah. Which for a college student helps a lot. Right. But but more than anything, this was his getaway, right? Football, playing football especially is a full-time job. You gotta be on a hundred the whole time. That's why football players. And he was the kicker. Fired. It's not yeah. like he was using mm-hmm. his platform as a kicker to make the money. Mm-hmm. It was his own intellectual property mm-hmm. that allowed him to go it ahead was, and make it the was, money. It was his getaway. It was his way to express himself creatively. It was a way for when he's done for him to have a, a catalog, a portfolio of things he's worked on. If he wants to go into media or editing, right. and what you told him was have all all those benefits or play football. Right. Exactly. When when the two should in no way ever be mutually exclusive. I don't agree. I don't understand how you can tell again, it just it reflects the greed mm-hmm. of those that are, you know, that are in power yep. and those that are making these rules. And, the, and then they're the saying com- we're gonna get everything. Mm-hmm. You can't have anything. And then in a in a society that supposedly encourages free enterprise, it's crazy how they just wanna Oh, well, nope, I mean, nope. we, that same society <laughs> that. now has yeah. AP students talking about and calling <laughs> slaves that came over to this country, uh, you know, workers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, indentured that's ridiculous. So, yeah. So, yeah, indentured <laughs> servants. So we're getting close to wrapping this up. Mm-hmm. I want to go ahead and give my answer to uh, that question as well that you brought back up, Brother to the Left, and then get into a just a quick, like, a caveat uh, that I feel about the NC2A that also brings back in the ideal an idea of paying the players with regards to title nine. So solution standpoint, I feel just like junior. Yes. And no, the players should be paid. However, not all the players should be paid with regards to the fact, as he was saying, not everyone is worth the level of payment. If we're going to go with inside of a capitalist structure on top of that, all of the uh, players with regards to everything that they're doing, it doesn't warrant the fact that they should be given like the opportunity to go ahead and receive this level of benefit. So the first way that I think that things could go ahead and be fixed is with the NC2A. NC2A, one of the opportunities that happen, they have to go. From what I understand, the presidents of the universities And the universities themselves are their sole proprietors of the teams and everything that they have. And that's why when a scandal happens, you know, it's the president that has the heat, not the NC2A. The NC2A has created this structure and organization. But I feel one solution could be the Power Five conferences are the ones that are making the money and they have the TV deals. So when the TV deals come back up for negotiation, be quite honest, they could create their own league and just leave. You could leave the NC2A have a power five network or whatever you want to call it 
have your fan bases and those people follow, renegotiate your own contracts, and then you can go ahead and pay the athletes whatever you want and you're not involved. But the only reason why that's not happening completely is because the presidents of these institutions are in bed with the NCAA and they all work together to make sure that the players aren't paid and that they're the ones that are completely paid in the first right. The only universities have gotten a little iffy about that is is when the NCAA tends to go on, you know, ban hammers as they call it where they decided to go ahead ban a team like smu and completely go ahead and give them the death penalty and take them away so that's one solution the other solution is what i talked about earlier which is junior with regards to just get rid of the caveat in the rule and allow the universities to uh have endorsements come in and then that makes it a true and total meritocracy uh that sports is and allows things to go ahead and be fair and to go ahead and pay these players what they're worth which baseball players somewhat almost take advantage of this already yeah. gymnastics stu- uh people take advantage mm-hmm. of it the swimmers all the olympic athletes are already getting paid on the side although they're still in college so it's weird that they're able to go ahead and skirt that but basically it's once again the football and basketball players that remain on the plantation uh so to speak that are not going ahead and being paid and then finally i wanted to go ahead and talk about what i felt was interesting too with regards to two things so first i think you know we haven't talked about it at all here is the nfl and the nba the nba created that rule for having kids stay with inside of college for a reason because why they were getting a bunch they got kobe they got KG, they got a couple players that were really nice and were star-studded, but then they started getting a bunch of really trash players, and the public didn't know who they were. So the NCAA basketball March Madness basically creates a, a marketing structure, in a way, to where it allows you to see. We wouldn't have known. Lonzo Ball would have came in. His daddy would have been talking smack. We said, who the hell is this guy? He got to go. (laughs) But instead, Lonzo Ball became a star at a star program in UCLA in the Pac-12 on Pac-12 network TV that gave them free advertising then. So the NFL does the same thing. They don't have to worry about paying for any type of developmental league. Because they get a free developmental league from college football where these players, Maurice Claret tried to fight it, a couple other folks tried to fight it, but you are forced to be in college football for two years, so to speak. There's a couple caveats that are different. I think you have to at least be out of high school for two years because a person like Larry Fitzgerald was able to go ahead and skirt that. So that's one. The second is getting back to the welfare topic. And one of the things that's very problematic to me too is if they were to try to go ahead and do this pay structure to where everyone was paid, and we have all these sports. As we know, primarily football and basketball make the money, and they are the cash cows for these universities. They are predominantly African-American. But then on the flip side, for soccer, rowing, lacrosse, gymnastics, basically all of these other sports are then dominated by white players who are not bringing in the university said money. Uh, And as a result, You're basically going ahead and creating a welfare system structure for these white athletes, which I think is almost unfair and in a way racist from a structure of you once again have primarily white athletes, almost white female athletes benefiting the most from this structure because, you know, outside of a little bit of softball, track and field, You're not really getting a lot of black female athletes or Latinx female athletes that are taking advantage of and getting the opportunity to go ahead and receive these scholarships. So how do you all feel with regards to that 
Do you feel that if they were to go ahead and pay everybody that it would be somewhat unbalanced for the fact that you would be having people that are not making any money for the university benefiting from that and primarily be off the backs of African-Americans? You know, my thoughts are this, and you know, this is coming from the standpoint of someone who doesn't necessarily know all the logistics, all the ins and outs of, of collegiate sports. Um, but it's really simply this collegiate players, black or white, mostly black, and you know, particularly pertaining to this topic when we talk about basketball and football, collegiate players are not being compensated appropriately. There are a multitude of ways to compensate them. And I think that those who know the ins and outs, those who know the logistics of the situation can figure out a way to compensate them with equity, not necessarily equally, you know, because there's a range of talents, schools bring in different amounts of funds. So it doesn't mean that, you know, everyone's going to be paid the same, but what it means is that everyone will get what they need as they're getting their education. And I, I will be honest, I don't have the answers. We, we talked about a lot of different solutions here tonight. I don't have them. Maybe none of the solutions we came up with are going to work. Maybe one or two of them will work. But the reality is there are solutions. And what needs to happen is those minds that are in power, if they can't figure it out, they need to hire someone who can and make sure that collegiate players are being compensated with equity, not necessarily equally, but being compensated with equity in a way that they can support themselves and benefit from the work they're putting out. I agree. Definitely. I think a few immediate steps that could be made, both dramatic um, and small. I think you're always fighting against greed. As Brother to the left mentioned earlier, you're always fighting against greed. But I think also now is the time. These huge TV deals going into place um, with social media having to influence it has now. I think now is the time that those things need to go into place before kind of those structured structures are uh, kind of re-solidified. Um, right now, they're kind of fluid um, and things are changing. And I, I don't think there, I don't think it would be fair. I'm um, going back to the other point. If, you know, everybody was paid the same, no matter what their contribution is to the revenue, I guess that's just, just not a model I necessarily believe in. But I do think all athletes obviously should be able to, um, if you're putting that work in, you should be able to live a comfortable life, especially if you're producing all this revenue. So I think Absolutely. there's definitely, like I said, big steps and small steps need to happen now right. on why things are still changing and fluid. And I think, you know, to kind of end this thing um, is that something needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Whenever you have a situation where you have a group of individuals who are bringing in tens of millions of dollars and are struggling to support themselves, you have a situation that is not just something needs to happen. And, you know, the, the powers that be need to figure it out. And, you know, again, to bring it back to uh, to the HBCUs, my hope is that they follow through and find a way to start paying their uh, collegiate players um, and set the tone and set the standard so that, you know, those D1 schools follow suit and we can we can find a way to rectify, you know, this this huge problem that exists. Yeah. And totally agree with you there, brother to the left. I hope that the HBCUs uh, in a perfect world there would almost be a, a new uh, Fab Five because I think basketball would have to be able to start at first uh, with the popularity that one individual can bring. And there would be a new Fab Five star high school players that all just decided to go play at a HBCU under this model and just wreck shop at the NC2A tournament or was even a bigger story because the NC2A would suspend said HBCU and not allow them to go ahead and play in uh, the March Madness tournament, which would just create the level of buzz that we're 
seeing now with uh, Brother Colin Kaepernick with regards to being able to have participation. But we could go ahead and talk about this agnosium. Uh, I just want to go ahead and thank Brother to the Left for uh, being back here on another great Stay Woke podcast and being able to invite his cousin Junior. Junior, always welcome back here. Thank you for having me. To go ahead and talk about these topics. Just amazing level of research and insight from this brother. He is doing amazing things. Uh, Do you have like a a social media or anything like that that you like people to follow or you just keep Um, it real chill? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty chill. You can follow me if you want to. Junior Bo um, on everything, J-U-N-I-E underscore B. Um, I'm into a bunch of different stuff, so kind of no telling what you'll see on there. But okay, so follow you know, if you want to look this guy up, he's going to do big things. And uh, absolutely, and I just want to add that you know, love my little cousin, and and I'm real proud too. of him, man. Proud Thank as you. fuck, man. Thank you. You know. All right, and um, this is uh, Benjamin Onanowo signing out. You can go ahead and find me also on at cousin Benji uh, on Instagram, and um, as we said. You know, you cannot stay woke if you don't be woke. And this was another great podcast. This episode of the Stay Woke Podcast is brought to you by thesonicbreakdown.com. You know the Stay Woke Podcast motto, live, listen to some great music, and above all, love more. We're out.